Jerome, St. Jerome as some would call him, we know him as the, not necessarily the author, but the translator of what is called the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the scriptures. Jerome once said that when he read the letters of the Apostle Paul, he could hear thunder. And there is in many of Paul's letters the thunder of rebuke and warning. And the book of Galatians may thunder the loudest of all. From the very beginning of the letter, there is a tension that comes through loud and clear. Paul is angry. The gospel in Galatia has been attacked and is being undermined by a damaging, damning lie. Listen to this lengthy quote. True, there is a touch of tenderness as well, speaking of the book of Galatians. Once in the midst of the letter, Paul referred to the Galatians as his dear children. That's chapter 4, verse 19. As the context reveals, though, this was the tearing tenderness of a distraught mother who must endure all over again the, chains, the, the pains of childbirth because her children, who should have known better, were in the danger of committing spiritual suicide. Paul was astonished and perplexed by their departure from the truth of the gospel. He feared that they had been bewitched and deceived. And in frustration, we read in chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul essentially says, What are you thinking? In these 149 verses, Paul will lay out his defense of the gospel. He will be systematic. He is passionate. He is intense. He is direct. He is to the point. Why? Why is he writing with such ferocity? Well, the answer to that question I think, is the theme of the book of Galatians. And in today's message, we simply want to introduce the book to help our overall understanding of why Paul wrote the letter and why you and I should be diligent in our understanding of the message of the book of Galatians. I want to show you a picture now I know it's hard for you to see the expression on the face. That is, if you want to see a clearer view of this, then come to my office after the service today. I have a picture of this picture. I have a reproduction. This is a painting uh, of Martin Luther. And the title of the painting is Martin Luther, 
discovering the doctrine of justification. He is reading from the book of Romans. He is in chapter 3. And there he is going to read about faith as a means of justification rather than works. You see, Martin Luther is a monk. He is a Roman Catholic priest. He has been searching for and working for eternal life. He feels the depth of his own depravity, the guilt of his own sin. He will flog himself frequently and violently. He will do all the good things he possibly can do And yet one day, reading a Bible chained to an altar in the church where he served, he reads that only by faith can our sins be forgiven and for justification to take place in our lives. And the expression on his face face, is one of someone who has just discovered a great treasure and a great trouble. Because I think in that moment he realizes, yes, his soul will be delivered, but he's going to stand against the world to preach that message. That justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. (coughs) Martin Luther will write a commentary on the book of Galatians. He will say that he will call it his book. And I believe the reason that he does that is because The book of Galatians is the message that the gospel is the only way for our sins to be forgiven. And that message will be what Martin Luther will preach for the rest of his life. It will be the reason he is given a death sentence by the Roman Catholic Church. From the time Martin Luther began to preach justification by faith alone in Christ alone, he is put under the sentence of death and he will live with that for the rest of his life. And by the way, he dies of natural causes. The message of the book of Galatians may be the most important thing you and I will ever tell anyone else. It will be the most important thing we have ever heard and that they will ever hear. Let's just talk, start with some general information to help in our understanding. Let's start our reading at verse number 1. Try to pick out details. Try to look for key terms. Listen 
to everything Paul says. Don't just, don't just skim over this like, well, that's not as important as this part. Listen carefully. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so... Let me stop there a second. Let me go back. I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there would be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. There's the thunder. And we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now I read those verses because these verses introduce the book of Galatians. And in these verses, we really have encapsulated for us much of what Paul's going to spend the rest of the book of Galatians discussing. This book, if you noticed, was not written to a specific church And even more so, not even in a specific church in a specific city. Notice what he said there in verse number (coughs) 2. He's writing unto the churches, plural, in Galatia. Now, Galatia is not a city. Galatia is a region. It would be now, if you looked at a map, it would be southwestern Turkey kind of Uh, that region, kind of the southern, southwest part of that country. And Paul will have gone to these churches in his first missionary journey. And we read about those in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Phrygia and, and Perga and Antioch and Pisidia and... And so you, you, you see those churches and, and, and they're like every other place where Paul went. There were those who listened and there were those who wanted to get rid of Paul. That was 
probably around somewhere around A.D. 46 and 47. And these dates are very important. Not for you to memorize them, but for, for what Paul says now in verse number 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed. Okay? Why? Well, Paul is going to write the book of Galatians in A.D. 48. It was probably written in A.D. 48. So the missionary journey that started in A.D. 46 lasted until A.D. 47. He's gone in. He's established churches. He's preached the gospel. Gentiles have come to know Christ. And, 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 and these churches were probably made up of a majority of Gentiles. There were probably some Jewish believers there as well. But within a matter of a year, a year and a half, from the time that they first accepted the truth of the gospel, Paul is now writing to them and saying, what are you thinking? By the way, if you want to see where I'm getting that from, look at chapter 3 and verse number 1. Oh, foolish Galatians! The word foolish there is, is actually, one, one Bible translator put it this way, Oh, Galatia idiots. I'm just trying to be kind. What are you thinking? The word has to do with a willing, a willing rejection of intelligence. Okay. What are you thinking? You're not thinking. So a very short period of time from the time they heard the gospel now until they are believing another gospel. And just by way of information, the way this book breaks down is like most of Paul's other writing. He's going to spend the first part of the book laying out doctrine for us. Bible teaching. And the Bible teaching in this book has to do with the doctrine of justification. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he's going to tell us how to live out what happens to us after we're justified. Now, don't think that the general information is unimportant. Because it does set a context for us for looking now at the, the purpose of the book. Now we're getting into more of why this book is even in our Bible. Why did God, God the Holy Spirit, speak these words through the Apostle Paul to the Galatians and then to us? Well, it looks like Paul mainly addresses three concerns here. One is that his apostleship is being attacked. Now, why is that, why is that such a big deal? I mean, there are, times, there are times that Paul talks about his apostleship as if it's not really that important to him. And, and, and so why is he, he here defending? Well, basically because... In attacking the messenger, they are attacking his message. In questioning 
the qualifications of the Apostle Paul, they are in turn questioning what the Apostle is teaching. Which is why he says in verse number 1, that he is an apostle not of men, neither by man. And I think in the context here, the specific men he's talking about are the other apostles. He was not appointed to be an apostle by Peter, James, John, and so on. He had a direct appointment from whom? Christ. God. So Paul is saying, you know what? I know, I know you're questioning and I know you're, you're attacking, but I want you to understand something. I'm coming to you from God, from Christ, and what I'm saying comes from Him. He's going to go back here in verse number 10. Look there again. For I, for do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I, if, if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What is he saying here? He is saying, I'm, I'm not preaching what I'm preaching to please anybody except God. I'm not a people pleaser. He is essentially saying, if I were a people pleaser, you know what? It'd be a whole lot easier just to preach what you want to hear rather than the truth. And he will say essentially that to them later on. Am I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? He's actually going to spend verses 11 to 24, and we'll look at these later in our study. Again, defending his ministry and his work as God's messenger. That's an apostle, a messenger from God. If the qualifications and the integrity of the messenger are questioned or questionable, then so is his message. Create doubt about the preacher. And you create doubt about what he's preaching. This isn't Paul defending himself from attack, per se. This is Paul defending God and God's gospel. Which brings us to a second area of concern for Paul, and that is the gospel. Look at verse chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace be to you now. Now, let, let, me, let me stop and let me, let me ask you to do this. Find the gospel words with me. Find the gospel words with me. Grace. Is that a gospel word? Absolutely. Grace be to you. Peace. Is that a gospel word? From God and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we just read several gospel words. God. Lord, Jesus, Christ. All of those individually are gospel words. Who gave Himself for our sins that He might 
deliver us from this present evil world <coughs> according to the will of God and our Father. Just a few gospel principles brought up in these two verses. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, I should have read verse 5 as well. To whom be glory, the ultimate purpose of the gospel, to whom be glory forever and ever, so let it be. Amen. You have in these few verses justification. You say, I don't see the term justification. Notice what God does for Jesus. He raises him. It is God who quickened him. It is God who gave him to be sacrificed for our sins. And yet it is also God who raises him, verse 1, from the dead. Without the resurrection, there's no justification. Without a resurrection, the ministry of Jesus Christ is essentially worthless. Did you hear what I said? Without a resurrection, the work of Jesus Christ is essentially worthless. Why? Because he'd still be dead. He would not be God. There could be no justification. So there's justification, there's resurrection, there's grace, there's peace, there's crucifixion. He gave Himself. He's a willing sacrifice. He is a rescuer. He delivers. The word deliver in verse 4 is, is, the, word, is the word rescue. It's an interesting word. In the New Testament, whenever you see this word used, God is always the subject and His people are always the object. In other words, it's always God rescuing His people. The evil impulses, the sin that grips the human heart causes Paul to cry out for deliverance. Romans chapter 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me? Who will rescue me from the body of this death? That's chapter 7 verse 24 the book of Romans. Chapter 7 verse 25 the answer is this. Jesus Christ our Lord. And so all pleas and all deliverance is possible because of the person, the work, the completed work of Jesus Christ. He was delivered for us that we might be delivered. An interesting phrase that I think Paul uses in verse number 4, we are delivered from what? Now, without looking at your Bible, generally if we were to ask this question, the Gospel delivers us from what? What are some of the first things that would come to mind? Hell. Sin. That's not what he says. Now all those things are true. But he says that he died to rescue us 
from this present evil age. Fascinating. Why? Because do we really think of the gospel doing that for us? Or do we often think of us doing that for ourselves? We're the ones who have to be holy. We're the ones who have to stop ourselves from being like the world. You know what? The gospel does that for us. Someone has said the Christian now lives in a profound tension between the no longer and the not yet. The no longer referring to what we were without Christ and the not yet referring to what we will ultimately have because of Christ in glory. We live in this present evil age. And God saved us to deliver us. The gospel works to deliver us from its power in our life. He talks about the will of God in verse 4. According to, we, we, we are delivered from this pre- present evil age according to or by the will of God because of the will of God. It is not God's will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And then ultimately it's because of the glory of God, for the glory of God. This is why it's okay. This is why it's right. This is why it is is holy for God to demand glory. Because in demanding glory, He is essentially calling the world to Himself so that they may be delivered, that they may be justified. So Paul is very concerned about the clarity of the gospel. But he's also very concerned about commitment to the gospel. He's calling these Galatians to be committed, given to, surrendered to the gospel, not just the idea of being soul winners with it, but being so saturated in their thinking with the gospel that it literally affects everything in their life, every day of their life. Look at verse number 6. I marvel. I am amazed. I am astonished that you're so quickly, willingly, you've chosen to turn from the truth, the gospel. You, 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 you've listened to false teachers and you have willingly and easily turned from the truth. You've been removed. The word removed there has the idea of 
to transfer your loyalty or to put a distance between yourself and someone or something else. You've moved to another place as far as truth is concerned. Paul is calling them back to the truth by telling them the truth. Warning them against that which isn't true. There is a third area of concern for Paul and that is the unity of the church don't miss this Paul is not writing to a church he's writing to numbers several churches in different cities over over a, 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 an area a ground, a, a region, a place. And he wants everyone in those churches unified with their local body of believers, but also unified with other believers because of, built upon, based on the gospel. Is actually a very natural transition to move from our study on the book on, on, on unity in the book of Romans to the book of Galatians because this is an overarching theme in this it is not the theme but it is a an, a, an idea that you see permeating this book our unity is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ but even more importantly than that it is built upon God Himself. So taking into account His concerns about His apostleship and, and the attacks against the messenger because that is calls the message into question and He clarifies the gospel, he wants people committed to the gospel. He's trying to encourage these believers to find their unity in, in, in the gospel because of God Himself. We, we want to talk about the theme of this book. If, if we could sum up, maybe just in a statement of why the book of Galatians in the, is in the Bible, I think it would have to be this. We must get the gospel right. Some of you, some of you may be thinking, "Really? That's it? I mean, I can tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what? Amen. I agree with your facts. Now explain." And don't just give me facts. Explain it. So that if I had never heard 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first few verses before in my life, I would know what you know. And not just facts. 
See, we're not just talking in the book of Galatians about being able to recite statements. We're talking about heart understanding. An understanding of the gospel that changes you not just on the day you came to Christ, but every day until you see Christ. We must get the gospel right. You know why? Look at verse number 7. Or let's start at verse 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. We must get it right. Why? Because if we don't, we're damned. Paul will go on later in chapter number 1 and we read, if, if, you'll, if you look over here with me, verse number 9. Or verse number, the last word of verse number 8 and the last word of verse number 9. Those are the word which means that Paul wishes that the people who have perverted the gospel would go to hell. That's what he's saying. I wish that they would go to hell. You see, that's what happens when you get the gospel wrong. You go to hell. And some people who can recite it have still got it wrong. Some people who can read it have still got it wrong. I'm not saying at the point of salvation we'll understand everything about it. I know that's not true. We will grow in our understanding of the gospel throughout our time here on earth between the not yet or the, the no longer and the not yet. But if you are relying on just being able to recite the facts of the gospel for your eternal salvation, my friend, let me encourage you to pray that God helps you to understand more than just the facts of the gospel. Facts are certainly necessary. We are taught facts, but we are taught facts to reveal deeper truth. If we get the gospel wrong, we're damned. If we get the gospel wrong, we damn the world. I go back to the picture of Martin Luther. I wonder if as he was standing there, he realized that he has been damning souls by preaching a false gospel. Which may be why he spent the rest of the life, rest of his life preaching truth and standing against those who did not. We must get the gospel right. And the book of Galatians is going to help us do that. So, as we go into our study on the book of Galatians, let me, let me ask you a few questions. Are you willing to pray 
for a clearer understanding of the gospel. And I mean, pray that you would know more than just how to restate Bible verses. Pray for a clearer understanding of the gospel. Pray that God would help you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. To be delivered from this present evil age. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. And then to apply the gospel in your personal relationships. To forgive even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. To love unconditionally as he loves us. To find unity like God and His Son are unified and we are unified to them. We find unity with others because of God and the Gospel. This book of Galatians thunders the truth that we must get the gospel right. Let's pray that we will. Heads are bowed, please, and eyes are closed. some feedback over the last few months as we've studied the book of Romans. And even before we got into the book of Romans, we were trying to focus on the gospel in other contexts, our study of the book of Hebrews and other times and other places or other services. One individual said to me, you preach the gospel too much. Guilty as charged. Another individual said, I think you need to move on. People People know it. And that may be true. But the book of Galatians is in the Bible. And I think it needs to be preached. And we need to admit if our understanding of the gospel is just based on what we could recite rather than Explain. Are you willing to pray for a clear understanding of the gospel? Are you willing to ask God to help you to understand it well enough to preach it to yourself every day? And are you willing... To ask God to help you to live the gospel in your personal relationships. 
You spend some time talking to the Lord as we close our service in prayer.